Please be seated. Let's pray. God, we thank you that we are walking in your light. And we thank you that this light is the light of Christ. And we pray that you would bring us closer to yourself today and every day. That we would become one with each other, fellow citizens in the kingdom of heaven. Amen. We as humans love a good makeover story, don't we? We like seeing things change from good to bad. I don't know if any, any of you have seen extreme house makeover um, shows where there's usually a family that's in trouble. Maybe they have a child with disabilities and their house just isn't kitted out to help them look after their child. And life is very difficult. They're getting desperate. Their child's getting older and there's no space and they just don't have the money. And someone in the area, someone who knows them and loves them, writes into this TV show and suggests that the family might be a good candidate. And the family go and stay somewhere else while um, everybody moves in. And the house is completely gutted. It's um, extended, all mod cons are put in. Usually local builders and plumbers and electricians help out for free and... um, the house looks amazing. It's got everything the people need. And then the family are brought back for the big reveal. Maybe the house is covered with a huge, enormous tarp. Maybe there's a big truck parked right outside it. And then the truck moves slowly away, or the, and the tarp is pulled off the, off the beautiful, perfect new house, and their lives are changed. It's wonderful. Everyone cries and it feels amazing. And we never usually find out what happens later. The need for change is hardwired into us humans. We can all sense that there is something else. Something else out there. Something else that if only we could touch it, if only we could understand it, then we would be happy and fulfilled. Um, I'm always reminded of, of people on shows like The X Factor, which I, I hate so, but so, so badly. Um, when they're asked, when they're queuing up for hours and hours, when they're asked, how will this show change your life? Or what will happen if Simon Cowell says yes and you can go on to the next stage? They say, my life will be totally changed. This is what I've been waiting for, for all my life. Everything will be different. And we all know that's not true, and they probably can't sing, and Simon Cowell is from a very dark place anyway, but we'll draw draw a veil over that. He is not God. Um, He does not have power to change people. But we seem to think that other people can do that for us. In the letter of Ephesians, we hear that something has already changed. Paul is writing this letter to the church in Ephesians, which you probably heard last week, but I wasn't here, so I'm going to say it again. Um, And for once, he he isn't actually having a go at the church for something in particular. This letter is about encouragement. 
I mean, when I say having a go, I can see your face, Michael. Um, I mean that normally Paul's letters are, are addressed at a specific problem, and he really wants to talk about that specific thing. And sometimes he gets quite erased about it. See Galatians. Um, it's hilarious. But this is all about the encouragement. And many think that the, the letter of Ephesians is actually a circular letter which would have been sent around to all different churches, which most of Paul's letters were anyway, which is why we have them. But, um, and so it would have been passed on and copied. And Paul is encouraging the church and saying that God thinks you are wonderful reminding them of the wonderful cosmic way that Christ has changed all of our lives. Christ has changed absolutely everything. And just to remind us about the actual town of Ephesus, Ephesus was no one-horse town with chickens scratching in the main street. It was a big place. It was a rich, important place. It was a cosmopolitan place where people knew how the world worked. There would have been people from all over the Roman world there. There were a lot of Roman buildings in Ephesus, including a big theatre, a circus, and lots of municipal buildings. There would have been a strong army presence as well. There was a lot of manufacturing going on. Gosh, is this beginning to feel quite familiar <laughs> It's not a million miles away from where we are now, in some ways. Cosmopolitan, army nearby, lots going on, near to real centres of industry. There was religious tolerance up to a point. And of course, the main religion in Ephesus was the, the worship of Diana or Artemis. And um, you, there had been a little incident between Paul and some of the local builders and silversmiths who were worried that Jesus would put them out of business when he first visited. Check it out in Acts chapter 19. And there was also a strong community of Jews in Ephesus. They were devout followers of the law of God found in the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. And some of, who, some of these people became followers of Christ after hearing Paul speak. And they would have been part of the Ephesian church, along with the Gentiles, the people who were not Jews. These groups of people found it really hard to understand each other. They were from very, very different places, culturally and religiously speaking. As we read the New Testament, of course, we can see this isn't an isolated incident. The new church found this all the time because there would have been Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians in pretty much every church. And they would have found it really difficult to understand each other. The Jews believed they understood God. They knew what it was to follow God. They had the law. They had the, prophet, the prophets and the patriarchs. They had the Ten Commandments and all the other rules. They had their special festivals, their special meals. All of this that they would have built their lives around. They had a rather painful way for um, men to show that they belonged to the special tribe as well. And they would have spent their whole lives believing that if they just kept themselves apart and kept these rules, God would be pleased with them. And they would be gods. 
and sent God's people, sorry, not God's. Um, And suddenly these pagans, these newcomers, are telling them that they too are followers of God because they're followers of Christ. They aren't keeping the rules. They're not doing the things they're meant to do. And they're saying that they can be filled with the Holy Spirit just as much as the Jewish Christians. All very tiresome to be told how things are by newcomers, isn't it? But Paul is saying here that everyone has changed. People have been living in darkness. Everybody has been living in darkness. And now they are living in the light. They have been dead and now they're alive. They've been separate from each other and now they are one. They have been aliens and strangers and now they are fellow citizens with each other. Paul talks in verses 1 to 7 of the amazing trajectory that all people, all people have been on. He says that people were sinful, dead and objects of wrath. That sounds awful. He talks of them being ruled by the ruler of the kingdom of the air, which would have been understood to be Satan. This sounds like a dark and awful thing. And check this out. Not only does Paul address this to each of his readers, he addresses it to himself as well. He was in darkness and now he's in light. He was dead and now he's alive. We are saved, he says. We are raised with Jesus. We are seated with him. We are all recipients of his great kindness. What a place of grace and light we have all moved into. This chapter, of course, is rich with imagery and ideas, so much that we won't be able to really delve into in just one, one sermon. But I want to pick out a couple of things. So in verses 14 to 17, we hear that the readers used to be divided and now they are one. As we heard, there would have been a lot of division and misunderstanding, in, even in the church, because of their very different backgrounds and understanding of God. And now these two groups have become one. And no, I'm not going to sing that Spice Girls song. It's really not going to happen. But it doesn't mean that. In verse 14, we see that the dividing wall of hostility has been destroyed, like Jesus is a battering ram that has just knocked that down. That seems pretty violent, doesn't it? When you think about how it must have sounded to the Jewish Christians, though, some people believe that Paul was referring here to this dividing wall as the Torah, as the law itself. That the actual law, which was a good thing, had become such a division, a thing of division between the people, that it had to be abolished. Now, we know that this isn't the whole story because Jesus actually said that he wasn't He wasn't here to abolish the law. He was here to bring it to fruition. But he was here to get rid of those things that would divide people. He was here to bring light out of darkness and to bring unity out of division. So unity out of division. And then foreigners become citizens as it said in that passage. 
This would have been a big deal to the Ephesian Christians and those in nearby churches. The concept of citizenship, Roman citizenship, was very, very big. If you were lucky enough to become a Roman citizen, everything in your life would have changed. It would have been much better than winning the X Factor. You could vote, you could stand for office, you could own property, you were a person. What a lovely image this would have been for those in the Ephesian church. Some of them would have been slaves. Some would have been Jews. Some would have been freed slaves. And maybe some were even Roman citizens. And now they were all being told that they were equal. I wonder what that would have sounded like to those Roman citizens. What would they have felt like? Well, now everybody can be a citizen. Is it good to be equal? Is this really what we want? We, of course, have a lot about um, citizenship in, our, in the news at the moment. We're thinking about people coming into our country and whether we want that or not. And um, though this is... I was going to say this is not political. The Bible is extremely political, I have to tell you. The Bible is extremely political. It's not party political. I'm not going to be preaching that. That would be extremely uncomfortable and not what I'm here for. But we are being told that we are all equal. We are all citizens of the kingdom of heaven. What that means for us welcoming people here into this country is a different thing. It's something we do need to consider, though. In order to be citizens, what did they need to do? They didn't actually need to do anything. This was all because of Jesus. So Jesus brings light out of darkness, life out of death. Jesus brings unity out of division. Jesus brings people together all because of Jesus. So surely we have to do something to gain these advantages, don't we? The Jewish Christians wanted the other Christian men to do something particularly painful to show that they were followers of Jesus. But um, this was what Paul was saying. This is not necessary. Surely there are some words we have to say, a special ritual we have to go through. Maybe a course we need to go on in order to follow Jesus. No. All of this change has already happened because of Christ. Verse 8 says, For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and not this from, this from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so no one can boast. Not by works, on purpose. All we need is faith. And all we need to do get that is to ask for it. And it doesn't necessarily need to feel like we're full of faith all the time. All we have to do is ask. That's all well and good, but what does it mean to us? In verse 13, we're told, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. Through the blood of Christ. That imagery is a hard sell, isn't it? It really is. I sometimes cringe a little at some of those old hymns when there are people around me that I know are not really church people that talk about getting soaked in the blood of Jesus Christ. It's a bit like a horror film. 
like Carrie on prom night, or goodness knows how many horrible movies. Yeah, let's all get washed in the blood of Jesus. What are you on about, Paul? It is very odd. But he meant to shock. This is shocking imagery. Probably it would have made a lot more sense to the people that were hearing it then because they would have been used to sacrifice in the temples. And that was an extremely visceral, horrible thing to see. Even in the temple in Jerusalem, it would have been like an abattoir on certain days. But as we sang in our first song, we believe in God incarnate, flesh. God who became meat, flesh and bone and hair and digestion and circulation and yes, blood. The very fact that God became a person is the thing that changed everything, that moved us from darkness to light, that brought unity in the church, that made foreigners into fellow citizens. God was born. God lived and showed us how to live. God died God was raised to life again in Jesus. We need to live in the light of this Jesus. That's all very well, isn't it? We were once, oh yeah, I need to use this. I don't have anything else. So let me just put this on as a blindfold. So we were all walking in darkness, right? This might not work. Have we got any first aiders here? (laughs) <laughs> so we were all walking in darkness, kind of walking around. We didn't know where we were going. And then Jesus came, and there was light, and we could see. But it's like we're still walking around in darkness. We can't see at all. We're still blindfolded. Are we really walking in light? All the time, in the light of Christ, we still see things darkly all the time. Life is not perfect. The light of Christ has come into the world, yes, but we have often ignored it. Sometimes it seems light to us, and we feel like we're working as one, like the church is one, that we are accepting strangers into our midst, like we're doing the stuff that God asked us to do. But most of the time, here we are still blundering around like we're still living in darkness. We're reminded in verse 2 about this character, the ruler of the kingdom of the air. In those days, it was believed that Satan and the bad guys inhabited the place between the earth and heaven. Whatever the truth about that, it is pretty clear there are forces at work in the world today that are not of Christ. It's all about living in the now and the not yet. Yet, yes, Christ has come and all has changed. He's won the final cosmic victory. We know that in our heads. We read it. But there's something happening here in the meantime. The world is not perfect. The church still has divisions within it. There are thousands of denominations of the church in the world. And sometimes the church, those denominations are broken off for the most ridiculous-seeming reasons, Dis- disagreeing on small doctrinal issues. I don't think that's something that God likes. 
We all, of course, we all need to be different and it's good that we can worship in different ways, but we do need to be unified as a church. But everyone believes they are right. Maybe you have experience of being in a church that is suffering from division for some reason. It is a painful, painful thing. If we're truly one in Christ Jesus, how can this be so? How can it be possible? Well, it is about the now and the not yet. We are living in a time of um, both darkness and light. And what can we do in the meantime? Well, I would suggest that we have to get to know that Christ who changed everything in any way that we can. Maybe it's being in a small group. Maybe it's talking to your friends. Maybe it's going um, during Lent and joining a, a Lent reflections group. Any way we can know Christ is a good thing. Verse 10 reminds us that we are created for good works. We don't get changed by Christ because we do good stuff, but so we can do good things. These good works can be anything. You don't need to search after a special pathway. You just need to search after Christ in your life and ask, are these things I'm doing in line with what Jesus did for me? Am I helping change darkness to light? Am I helping bring people together, people in the church and people outside of the church? Am I helping foreigners and aliens and people who feel like strangers to be fellow citizens? If we are doing these things, we are truly walking in the light of Christ. And we are helping each other to do that together. Amen.